0: Good morning. Good morning. Pastor Rob and Rebecca are teaching at a marriage conference down in Buchanan, uh, West Virginia. The couple that came here and talked with them when they had the conference a while back ago, they're now, so to speak, returning the favor and are down there teaching. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, um, We'll be just picking up where we uh, left off last Sunday. As a bit of a review uh, to lead into this, uh, we'll be picking up in verse 9, but to review the first um, eight verses, God taught us that we are to move beyond, as it's listed here, elementary principles of Christ and grow into the distinctives of Christianity. We are to be growing. And... Uh, Pastor Rob told this to me one time several months ago. He says, think of a, think of a fruit, think of a banana. You buy a banana from the market and it's usually green. The things are still ripening It's just how they can get them here because they ripen so fast. And you notice on your counter one day it's green and the next day it's yellow. It's ready to go. And the day after that, it's starting to turn brown. Fruit that is not growing is rotting. So think of that in experience, how we're supposed to grow beyond the elementary principles and into the distinctives of Christianity. We're supposed to be continually growing, and that brings into the second part, the warning that our Lord has here. If you look at the last two verses of that, I notice that we're told that being useful, that we will receive blessings from God, but we're warned. If our lives are unprofitable, if we fall away from the Lord, even to the point where we're not producing fruit, that we're bearing thorns and briars that we will be rejected, that whose end is to be burned, reference to damnation, to hell. So if that is not a warning enough to encourage you to continue to grow in the Lord. Well, the first beginning of of Hebrews chapter six is warning. The second part, I get the easier part, is all about encouragement like that. So let's look at verse um, nine there. It says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. yes things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. First note, so the, the author of Hebrews, as he gave the warnings prior to this, he starts off right here as an encouragement. He says, but beloved. Now, if I can, beloved in the Greek word is agapitas. And when I first learned that in studying, as Pastor Rob has taught us through uh, the Men's Discipleship Program using Blue Letter Bible, I can look at these words back in their original form in the Greek, and I saw that word, agabetos. And I kind of grew that as a pet nickname for my beloved wife, April. I call her agabetos. I bring that up as a point not to embarrass April, but to show the point where the author of Hebrews here has given the warning, but he turns to them and he says, oh, but my beloved. And that's the context. That he is speaking to them as a a full love, as I have for my wife, but my agabitas. Cute nickname for your wives, fellas, by the way. Um, And he says here, we are confident of better things concerning you. He's speaking to them, I've warned you about falling away. I've warned you about other things, but I'm confident you're going to continue to grow in the Lord. I'm confident of this. Of better things. When he says of better things, he's talking about things that are more useful, more serviceable, more advantageous. So he's saying, stepping away from the elementary principles of Christ, I want you to grow in things that are more advantageous for you. Continue to grow so you don't turn into that rotting fruit, that you continue to grow. And he notes, things that accompany salvation. What could that be when you think of growing outside of the elementary principles there? When we accept Christ, when we accept salvation through Christ, there are certain responses that should happen in our lives. I'll note this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, "'Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new.'" And that's sort of a beginning sort of thought there, that how we should be growing. We should be becoming new, our old lives. And I've heard many people share this, how their lives have changed how they've become a new and a different person. I could stand up here for three or four hours and tell you how my life has changed, how I'm a totally different person, and I see myself continually growing and continually changing, and it's pretty amazing. The Lord has brought me farther than I thought possible from my old self to the new, and I love him so much for that. And the ends this verse here it says, though we speak in this manner, the previous verses show how much struggling Christians need encouragement and he's telling him here, I'm confident, better things for you, these things that accompany salvation, and we'll get into that in a minute, though I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about them a little bit. I'm confident in you. I'm confident you're going to go in these things, but let's go over some of those things. So if we can look at verse 10, and we'll look at the first thing that he is, uh, the author is talking about that accompanies salvation. It says, for God is not unjust for, to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. And that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now the first thing we'll notice here is that accompanies salvation is your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. But before we get into that, let's start in the first part of that. It says God is not unjust to forget your work. As a means of encouragement. At times, we think that God may have forgotten us. That we think all that I do... I get a little despondent about things, like, Lord, or are you truly there beside me? You know, I'm sure at times people struggle with this. I know I have at times. You have to think about things that way. Um, is God noticing the things that we are doing for him? You know, sometimes people like recognition. They like their name called out. They like to be lifted up a little bit. And that is good, that is a good of encouragement at times. But I give to you as a means of encouragement. Possibly it's better that you do things for the Lord and not have your name known to those. That you do those things that are done in secret are the things that the Lord truly loves. And keep that as an encouragement to yourself. The Lord is not unjust. The word unjust is descriptive of one who violates or who has violated justice. The Lord will not violate his justice. It would be denying his own nature to do so. So if you were to do something good for me and I forget about it, you know, oh, I forgot to thank this person. I forgot to mention this thing that they did for me. I got, you know, forgot to send out a thank you card for that gift or something like that. Well, my nature, I'm forgetful. The Lord is not forgetful. He remembers everything. He has a record of all the good that you've done for him for his name and especially of those things that you do in secret. Keep that in encouragement. When you wonder, is the Lord truly there? For God is not unjust to forget your works of labor of love, which you have shown towards him. This is the first thing to note that should accompany salvation that the author is bringing out. There are many things. It says, the works and labor that are done from love of God are commendable. What we do in the name of God will not go unrewarded. What is done in ministry, what is done as a servant to the Lord, to the smallest detail from the person that comes behind and cleans up after others. Those that just see somebody in need and quietly goes to them and helps them and doesn't make it well known. Just does simple acts inside the church, outside of the church, at work, within your family, things that you do towards others in love, in the name of the Lord. This should be an example of the salvation that we have in our lives. It should prompt us to do these works and labor of love. Billy Graham I'm going to quote him here in a second, gives a great example about this type of faith, producing works in our life and how we should grow. He says, a true sacrament is not a mere creed or an ordinance or form, but it is a life of service to God and to man. The most eloquent prayer is the prayer through hands that heal and bless. The highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. There must be a practical outworking of our faith here in this present world or we'll never endure the world to come. The Pharisees majored in show but minored on service. We need fewer words and more charitable work. Less elaborate complexity and more pity. Less repetition of creeds and more compassion. This is what accompanies salvation, your work and your labor of love. It is a life of service and worship to our Lord. Continuing on, we'll see the next thing that accompanies salvation. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So, the second thing in these verses that I noted that accompanies salvation is that we show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Well, what does that mean? Break it down a little bit. I had to break it down to understand it. It says to be diligent, that means to be earnest in accomplishing something. It's not just sitting still here, but to be earnest. This is what should accomplish our salva- or accompany our salvation. We need to be earnest, striving towards. Striving towards what? A full assurance. Full assurance means confidence. We need to strive forward with confidence and hope, expecting the good things, pressing on until the end. These are the promises of the God that I'm speaking of. These promises, God's promises, are all attainable by great diligence and perseverance until the end. I have come to learn in trying to find the Lord's will a simple way, and I like simple, is to find his promises in the Bible and then say, Lord, you promised. And that's the promise I need to find your will. This is the direction my life is going in. This is your word speaks to me just right there in that promise. So Lord, you promised. I'm going to pray that now. I know I'm in your will because you've said it. We'll continue on with that. He says, to not become sluggish. Discouragement can make us sluggish. The author here is encouraging with the, don't be sluggish. I think of it, I call it the, I don't want us. I don't want to get up early and read your Bible, Lord. I don't want to pray. I don't want to get up early and come to church this morning. I just, I don't want, I'm discouraged. Lord, I just, why can't you just take care of me? I just, I don't want to do anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to be so diligent I don't want to do these works in labor of love. Every time I do, I don't get recognized. I get all these I don't want us that come about. Well, I found an example of somebody, David, a man after God's own heart, when life was at his absolute worst for him, when David had sinned and fallen away from the Lord, and the world, his, Israel, was turning against him. And 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says, Now David was greatly distressed. I'm sure we can all understand that feeling. For the people spoke of stoning him. How more distressed can you be? Because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his son and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David turned to the Lord. Not to the people. All these people are ready to stone and kill me. Lord, I'm going to find you. You're going to be my strength. And you alone. It's a blessing when others encourage us, and we should do so. And the author of Hebrews here is trying to encourage them. But I make note, we don't have to wait for this. We can encourage ourselves in the Lord. And if I can, without going into a lot of detail, I can tell you there was a time in my life where I lost everything. I had reason to sit and mope and whine. And and a lot of people came to me giving me a lot of advice, trying to pull me out of this. And this was, this was many years ago, but the pastor of the church I went to at that time, I told him, I said, Pastor, this is what's happened to me. And this is all this advice people are giving me, and their, their advice is confusing me. And he said one thing, he goes, Joe, keep your focus on the Lord. And I said, I like simple. And I went, and I know the strength of the Lord, and I went, I can do that. And that's literally all I did was keep my focus on the Lord. I began to keep a journal of things where how he's blessed me every day. And I focused not on the things that could have been discouraging me. And I grew out of that. And God began to put more promises on my heart. And I drew closer to him of that. And my life now, that <laughs> weren't from losing everything, has been given back plus as a result of. David, as he relied strength on the Lord, the Lord would restore him. Now he went through a lot of struggles here. But it was his strength in the Lord alone that brought him back, not looking to try to please the people, but he relied upon the Lord here. Do not become sluggish. Continue to grow in the Lord despite your circumstances. How do we do so? Well, here's a third thing that should be evident of accompanying our salvation in our lives. We are to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises faith when i think of faith and we're already in the book of hebrews i'm going to give a sneak peek ahead to hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith so to speak i'm not going through it in detail i'm just going to pick out a couple here in hebrews 11 verse 5 it says by faith enoch was taken away so they didn't he did not see death enoch Enoch is a man i cannot wait when i get to heaven see jesus was a son of god And he was born without sin. But Enoch was born into the world. He was born as a man of sin. I want to know how he walks so well with the Lord without the distractions of his mind. That guy is a hero to me. A hero of faith. I wish we knew more about him. He was pretty special. Verse 7 says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. Think about Noah. He was told it's going to rain. He's never seen rain before. I'm going to flood the whole earth. Okay. And you got to build a boat. What's a boat? You got to build an ark. What's... God says, do this. Noah said, okay. And people ridiculed him. But by faith, his faith, and his faith, by building that ark, by going to God's safety, by following the Lord, by growing in the Lord, is what saved Noah, where the rest perished. That is an example that we should imitate in our lives. What has the Lord called me to do? What faith have I stepped out to? Does it look different than what the world wants? By faith, Noah, warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. Verse 8 says, Abraham obeyed when he was called, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And the author in Hebrews is going to get into this a little bit, but think about this. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house. Imagine the Lord telling this to you. To a land where well, I will show you, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make you a great, your name great and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Imagine the Lord saying to you, and you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed talking to me, God? That was Abraham's response. So Abraham departed. He took that in faith. As the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed. So imagine being 75 years old. Imagine Moses was at that point like, ooh, retirement time. Time to kick back and do some of my hobbies. You know, maybe now I'll get to spend more time on God's word, because I've been sluggish and putting that off some. And God's going to come to you and say, no, I want you to get up and away from your family. I want you to take off. I want you to go to this land. I'll show it to you. Don't worry about it. Just go. And by the way, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through this. Lord, I'm 75 years old. You want me to, yes, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Verse 12 says we are to imitate those We found the key in inheriting God's promises. When we get to chapter 11, I look forward to hearing Pastor Rob teach that on how these folks lived their life in faith, to teach us more how we should grow and have things that accompany our salvation, the kind of faith that we should have, that should be evident in our lives. Notice here also it says, at the end it says, through faith and patience, they inherited the promise. When you inherit something, you're, you're a partaker of, you're an heir of. It's nothing you earned. It didn't say they did all these works to earn, they simply had faith and they inherited the promise. Nothing of works here. I'm gonna stop here for a second and do a short review of three things that we've covered, things that accompany salvation. First, we talked of the work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. We should be doing our works and labor of love and have diligence and full assurance of our hope until the end. And we are to imitate those through faith and patience who inherited the promise. Now these promises, the next several verses, verses 13 through 18, are gonna show us how God's promises are reliable as the Lord is calling us to do these works and labor of love to be diligent and to imitate those of faith. Verse 13 through 14 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. He swore by himself. He said his own being is a witness. To swear is to call a person or a thing as a witness to it. And he swore by himself. Say, I, I, I do solemnly swear by my own self. No greater security of witness could be given or desired. God couldn't, he couldn't swear by something lesser than him. You know, and there was nothing greater than him. God, and we'll get into this a little more in just a second as the verse continues. Just think about it. So he swore by himself. I know in the, in the military, when we take an oath of office, it's, it starts off I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that is what every service member is swearing by and defending our Constitution. We look at that as something greater than ourselves. Our Lord is swearing by himself. There's nothing greater to him to swear by. In verse 15, he says, whoops, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead there. This promise here that he is swearing to is saying, surely blessings I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Now, when he says this to Abraham, it is just after Abraham has been tested with God asking him to sacrifice Isaac. And then God stops him and provides the ram. And God sees the full faith of Abraham to trust him. And now is when God gives this promise, I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now, Abraham's is like 100 years old at this point. And he's still holding on to that promise. The Lord's saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to multiply you. He said, but Lord, I'm, I'm so old, I can't do this. At 100 years old, Abraham is not becoming sluggish. He is still going forward in the promises of the God. And we see the nation of Israel today. God has truly kept his promise. He has multiplied Abraham and his descendants. In verse 15, it says, and so after he had patiently endured... He obtained the promise. Now it's evident, but what we've talked about Abraham here on how he had to have a time between the promise and the full obtaining of it. See, the promise came, Abraham died not fully realizing the promise of God. He he passed on to his descendants and they passed on to their descendants this promise. Hey, we're going to continue to grow into this nation. But Abraham didn't see that nation. He passed that promise on and he held on to that in faith. Are we strong enough in our faith in the Lord to to, we pray for things and we want things that we have to see them become evident? Or do we pray for things in our life that the fruit of our life would grow so much that it's going to grow beyond generations past us? That we're going to trust in the Lord that, Lord, let me grow so much in you. Let my faith walk so much in you that it's going to grow past me. Let your light shine through me so. There's a time, most time, between God's promises and the obtaining of them. Abraham's faith and patient endurance in this oath was is what opened his way towards him obtaining the promise. Let's look at verse 16 on God giving this oath and he is swearing by for indeed men swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So what our Lord has done here and the reason he has given this oath to Abraham well, an oath is an appeal to witness one's determination to speak the truth. When you say, I, I swear, I-, I swear I'm telling the truth. I'm going gonna- I'm gonna to give an oath to this. That you're like, I'm honest, I'm telling you the truth. An oath is for confirmation, an end disp- to end dispute. Have you ever said to one of your friends, really, is that true? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Do you swear by it? Do you swear that's true? This is what the Lord, it means to end dispute. So our Lord has sworn here to end dispute. My promises are solid. My promises are true. I swear by it. You could have my, I swear on my own being. I'm giving you the truth here. My promises are true. we continue on into verse five here, uh, our, verse 17 through 18, sorry, it says, thus God did determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for, possible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. There's a lot in these two verses. First off, God was determined to show. Our Lord didn't just make a promise and lay us sit there. He was determined. He did this oath to end dispute determined to show us his promises. Determined means something that's over and above, or or to show more abundantly means something that's over and above, more than necessary. Would you not agree that our Lord has done more than is necessary in our lives? He has not just saved us, but he has given us a promise, and he has sworn by his promise by himself, I'm going to keep these promises. He's gone over and above to share with our hearts that we should not be Despondent. We should not be sluggish in our worship to him. He has given us over and above as the Lord has a way of doing. Cups overflowing with his promises. It says here, it is shown more abundantly to the heirs of promise. An heir of promise, keep in mind that we are all by nature children of sin. And by nature, the curse, damnation, is the inheritance we are born to. But it is when we, by a new and heavenly birth, are become heirs to the promise of the Lord. It is through our salvation, and it is through our faith and trusting in the Lord that we get this promise. And it is to those heirs that God is determined to show more abundantly, more than is necessary, more over and above what is necessary. The immutability of his counsel. Immutability. You bet I had to look that that word up. (laughs) Immutability means something that's not transferable, that's not alterable, that's unchanging. Does that not fit the Lord? He is immutable. It's a new word. I'm going to try to use it this week, one of those kind of things, because I love how it is. When I think of it, I'll think of the Lord and how he doesn't change, how his promises are unalterable. There's no condition. The Lord loves us unconditionally. There's no condition. You can't alter this. It's unchanging. And I found in Psalms, chapter 33, verse 11 says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Think about the beginning of this when I said, the author was saying to my beloved. These are, this is the Lord speaking through this author, my beloved. We are the plans of his heart to all generations. That's his counsel. That's his promises for us. It's the immutability of his counsel. It is impossible for God to lie. It's contrary to the Lord's nature. The Lord is truth. We worship him in spirit and in truth. To lie would be contrary to God's nature. It is impossible for our Lord to lie. Um, In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. This is the encouragement for us. We have the immutability of his counsel. We know that our Lord cannot lie. We can stand strong in this. He is determined to show us this more abundantly. What are these immutable things that our Lord is talking about here? God's word. In and Matthew 24 verse 35 says the heavens and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away that is one immutable fact the second is God's oath he swore by himself promising to do it we have these two unchanging things and we know that it is impossible for God to lie therefore the result And our encouragement in this, as we continue on here, says the result is that we have strong consolation. God is concerned for the consolation of his believers. He doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants you to be encouraged. The consolations of God are strong enough to support us in our strongest trials. The comforts of this world are too weak. They will not hold up under temptations, The consolations of this world will not hold up under persecutions. The consolations of this world will not hold up when facing death. But it is the consolations of God that, when facing death, when facing persecution, when facing temptations, are strong enough to get us through. That is the the promises that David held on to when he was facing death. The consolations of the Lord are neither few nor small, they're strong. And it continues on saying for those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Another reason for encouragement, knowing that God has a refuge of hope set before us. Now, fled for refuge. The Hebrew readers of this letter would have well understood what fled for refuge referred to. See, this refuge of hope is like the cities of refuge. Commanded by the law of Moses is described back in the book of Numbers. There were designated cities that a person could flee to for protection who had committed manslaughter accidentally and once there claimed the right of asylum. So these cities were set up and they were, they were, they were like centralized places. I believe there were six of them that of a person... I, I forgot to look at the example that it listed to back in numbers, but I think of like if a person's mule accidentally kicked your neighbor and it killed him. That, that's an accident, but you've killed somebody, and by that family's right, they could come after you. So you would flee to the city, a place of refuge. And this is the example that our Lord gives us here. He is a place that we could flee to for refuge and a hold of the hope. I have a note from a commentator that expands upon this thought of how our Lord is a refuge in comparison back to the cities of refuge from the Old Testament. It said both Jesus and the cities of refuge were within easy reach of the person in need. A place of refuge is no good if you can't reach it. You know, if it was 200 miles away, you're, you're not going to make it there in time before they, they would catch you. Our Lord is not far away. He is right here with us. He is easily accessible. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all, not just the Israelites. No one who comes to the place of refuge is turned away in their time of need. No one who comes before the Lord will be turned away. Just as then as somebody that was in need needed to run to that city, they weren't going to shut the gates and keep them out. Our Lord does not shut the gates. At this point, they're open for us to all come to him. Jesus in the cities of re- refuge were placed to live in time of need. He didn't, just doesn't come by and look around. Jesus calls us to come to live with him, to be with him, not just come by window shopping. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? All right, catch you next week. No, come live with him. Same for the f- person in the cities of refuge, and we'll grow into this just a little bit more, but it was a place for th- that person had to come live there in that city to have that safety. They didn't just come in, whew, I made it here and didn't get to go back home. And I'll I'll keep going into that in a minute. See, both Jesus and the cities of refuge provided protection only within their boundaries. To go outside uh, of the provided refuge means death. So if this person had committed accidental manslaughter and he fled to that city of refuge, they had to live there. They had to stay there. They didn't get to leave. They were safe as long as they were there. How is that an example of us in Christ? Are we not safe as long as we are with him? Did we not learn last week of a warning when we are not with our Lord? If our fruit turns to to thorns and briars, if we fall away from him, that we are in danger of being burned. We are in danger of damnation. Jesus is our city of refuge is the place we go to to live. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provided full freedom with the death of, of the high priest. Now see, back in this day, as that person fled to that city, and I told you he had to live there, if the high priest were to pass away, then all those who had fled to that city could now go back home, and nobody could hold anything against them. There, that all, everything was sort of wiped clean with the death of the high priest from of, of the Levites at that time. Same with our Lord. With the death of our Lord, we are provided full freedom. We are provided full freedom in him as he is our high priest. By his death, he has provided us this full freedom. There is a crucial distinction, though, between Jesus and these cities of refuge. The cities of refuge only helped the innocent. If a man were truly guilty of manslaughter, he couldn't flee there. It was only by the accidental death. But with our Lord, the guilty come to him, and we find refuge and that is what the author is talking about as a place of refuge it is for all of us to come to in verse 19 this very hope this refuge that we have in our lord says this hope we have is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast which fast which enters the presence behind the veil when you think of an anchor you'll think of a a safeguard Something firm, something you hold on to. It's not a flattering hope. It's not a flattering anchor. If you come before our Lord in time of need, He will be there as your anchor. Maybe this is a goofy example, but this is what I thought of. If you came to me and you said, Joe, I'm in financial problems right now, and I wrote you a check for $10,000, you'd be like, woohoo, you've got hope. You're looking at, I've just got the answer to my financial problems. Yeah, until you got to the bank and you tried to cash that check. And then you'd realize, I shouldn't have put my hope in Joe and that piece of paper. Yeah, it was really not my hope in But our Lord is not like that at all. He is a solid anchor. When we put our hope in him, when we put our faith in him, do not be despondent upon it. No, in his promises. We are heirs of his promise that we can be encouraged to stand fast in that. Uh, one commentator put it, an anchor is something what we know of as a ship that drops down into the deep. And we don't see where it goes but it holds fast and it and it holds the ship from the currents and the sways and the and the and the troubles that come about holds it fast Well, our anchor is to be cast up into heaven again a place we can't see but we have our faith in and i thought of the old hymn on christ the solid rock i stand all other hope all other ground is sinking sand and i thought of my life as i went through trials and my pastor said keep your focus on the lord And we see those that were to imitate by faith. And what did they do? Enoch walked walked with the Lord. Noah trusted in the Lord, things unseen. Abraham went where the Lord told him, and he didn't know where he was going. Faith, things to imitate. And it says, we have this, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. And I hope your Bible has the word "presence" capitalized, because it is speaking of the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. All right, this is behind the veil. This is thinking of the, the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies is that place where the ark was kept. This is a place where the high priest only went once a year. This is where God's Shekinah glory would come down, which enters the presence. we have a hope in that which enters the presence behind the veil. Our refuge and hope is held strong and steadfast in the very presence of God. And we'll get into that in the next verse a little more. This hope is the precise medicine discouraged Christians need. Let me continue on to make that more clear. In verse 20 it says, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Michalzadek. Now a forerunner is one who comes in advance to a place where the rest are to follow. We have the promise of this access into the presence of God because Jesus has entered in advance. Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. When Jesus was crucified, the veil in the tabernacle was torn from top to bottom. God thus signifying that the way has now been made for all men to enter into his presence who will come through his son. Jesus has entered into the presence of God the Father so his people can follow him there. Let me show you a couple of scriptures to prove this. In John 14, verses 2 through 3 says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And Romans 8.34 says, It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So here we see that our Lord is coming, and he will come again to receive us, and that where I am, you may be also, and where is Christ? He is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He is beyond the veil. He is in the presence of God. He is that forerunner, and that's where he is, and he calls us to there. He is... As the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I'd love to really get into the order of Melchizedek because it's really, really cool. I sort of looked ahead at the next two verses. Pastor Rob will be covering that next week. Um, it's pretty amazing. I'll give a little preempt to make some notes here. There's Melchizedek's only mentioned two other times in the Bible, and that's Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 19. Take a little read ahead at that, and as well as Psalm 110. And then come ready next week as Pastor Rob shares about Matelzadek and see how that just is, I call it one of those cool little nuggets in the, in the Bible there. And I'll note here, it says, We who trust in Christ as our refuge have the hope of redemption through him. For Christ's defeat, and death of, defeat of death and sin has given us access to God, who without having to go through, without having to go through an earthly priest to do so, I flipped my last one over there. You see, the, uh, Israel had to go through a high priest and him only once a year, and he was more of a representative for the people. Christ has gone through the veil. He is with the presence, and he has opened that way so we can come, not once a year, but any time we need. He has made that way for us. We can always come before the Lord as we say when we go before prayer, when we spend time with the Lord, as we grow with the Lord. In Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 20 through 26, tells us, Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Friends, be encouraged. Continue your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name. Continue. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, and know that Christ has gone before you. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, And he has prepared a place for you with him. Amen.